I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me. Please be seated. O God, our Saviour, you care for the land and water it. You enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water to provide the people with corn, for so you have ordained it. You drench its furrows and level its ridges. You soften it with showers and bless its crops. You crown the year with your bounty and your carts overflow with abundance. The grasslands of the desert overflow. The hills are clothed with gladness. The meadows are covered with flocks, and the valleys are mantled with corn. They shout for joy and sing. Truly, God has given us so many material Blessings, and we have as many reasons to be thankful. And we've been full of thanks this morning, and rightly so. But what if there's nothing? What if we feel we have no food in the larder or fridge? We feel that, or we know, that the supermarket shelves are empty. What if we have have nothing to eat, nothing to drink, nothing to wear? Or if we feel there is a prospect of that destitution coming upon us, what then? Please grab a Bible and open it up with me, please, to Habakkuk chapter 3, page 942 in the Church Bibles. Habakkuk chapter 3, the words that Andy read for us a little while ago. Just a week ago, Habakkuk was a very unhappy man. If you were here last Sunday morning, you will have heard of Habakkuk's complaint. He looked around his little nation of Judah And all he saw was injustice and violence. And he had been crying out to God, Lord, how long must I wait for you to do something about it? When are you going to come and sort this mess out? And the Lord replied and said, I'm going to do something very soon. I'm going to raise up the Babylonians and they are going to judge and punish your evil nation. At which reply Habakkuk was even more unhappy. The Babylonians, they're even worse than we are. Where's the justice in that? And so he left Habakkuk last Sunday morning uh, on the ramparts uh, in his watchtower, gaining, seeking a higher view, uh, a longer view, and listening and waiting for God's further word. By the time we reach chapter 3, nothing in Habakkuk's 
circumstances has changed. Judah is still just as injustice-ridden and violence-ridden as it had been, and the marauding armies of Babylon are making their way over the horizon. Habakkuk is still facing an appalling prospect, the ravages of war, the horrors of invasion, the devastation of all resources, the removal of all basic necessities. It was the Babylonians who invented the idea of a scorched earth policy after all. And Habakkuk says towards the end of chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, though the fig tree tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Saviour. And this is real joy. It's not mere bravado, whistling in the dark. It's not resigned stoicism. Some Christians can sometimes be heard to say, oh well, hallelujah anyway. It's not grim determination, gritting his teeth or hanging in there. No, it's real joy. Somehow he's come from frustration to faith, from sighing to singing. This is not only a prayer, chapter 3, it's also a psalm. Those uh, rather odd uh, words, shigionoth and silah, and right at the end, on my stringed instruments, tell us as much. It's a psalm to be sung. He's singing, and he's come from worry to worship. How has he come that distance? And how can we? And can I just pause to say to you that this is probably the most difficult message that I've ever had to try to impart. Who am I? I don't know how you feel this morning. Whether you feel you've come to church this morning with your cup running over, or your cup half full or half empty, or whether you feel you're running on empty. Who am I to tell you that even though you feel you have nothing and there are brothers and sisters around the world who perhaps really do have nothing by way of material resources and possessions can nevertheless rejoice in the Lord. But with an open Bible in front of us and the wind of the Holy Spirit behind us, Perhaps together we can make some progress on this question of how he got to this point. Well, three things that lead Habakkuk and we too to rejoice. First of all, we can rejoice because of who God is. Habakkuk has already, in chapter 1 and verse 12 and 13, Habakkuk has already recited his creed, and that's a good thing to do. He knows that God is eternal, holy, faithful, and pure. He knows that. 
But now it's something more than reciting his creed. Now in chapter 3, he's encountering experientially the living God. And that makes all the difference. In fact, this chapter becomes increasingly personal. It begins in verses 3 to 6 with he. God, uh, Habakkuk is referring to God in the third person, he. By the time we get to verses 8 to 16, uh, 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 um, uh, 8 to 15, he's referring to God as you. And by the time he finishes in verses 16 to 19, it is I. It's increasingly personal, the experience that Habakkuk is relating here. And then when we look at what Habakkuk is saying about him and you, this God who is first him and then you. Uh, if you look, glance in particular at verse 3, for example, I wonder what one word uh, jumps out from the text as describing who God is. Well, in verse 3, we have God referred as, to as the Holy One, and then one whose glory covered the, he- covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hands where his power was hidden. Yes, there's splendor, there's light, there's glory here. I think that's perhaps the one word that jumps out from this text, that God here for Habakkuk is unspeakably and unchangeably glorious. His first reaction to this vision of God's glory is to be awestruck. Verse 2, I stand in awe, he confesses. And then in verse 16, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. He is awestruck by this vision of the living God. But that then leads, as we have seen, to joy and to rejoicing. We think perhaps of Aslan's roar in the Chronicles of Narnia, don't we? So alarming, so fearful to his enemies, and yet such a comfort to those who are under the great lion's protection. As one of our older hymns teaches us to sing, Fear him, ye saints, and you will then have nothing else to fear. Or as uh, one of the Puritans used to say, I fear God, but I'm not afraid of him. This glory of God, of course, is writ large and in yet more vivid colors in the New Testament. Paul wrote, it was God who said, let light shine out of darkness. And he has made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And it is this still center of everything, this glory of God to which Habakkuk first draws his own and then our attention. When I was a young Christian, I was very struck by the writings of uh, a writer called A.W. Tozer. He came, I think, from Chicago, of all places. Uh, And 
He, be, he made himself really quite unpopular in a number of Christian circles because he, in, he insisted that Christian worship should be God-centered and not man-centered. Tozer once said, I preached myself off every Bible conference platform in the country. Tozer once said, the heaviest obligation lying on the Christian church today is to purify and elevate her concept of God until it's once more worthy of him and of her. So we can begin by rejoicing in God because of who he is, regardless of what he either gives us or what he withholds from us. But now secondly, we can rejoice because of what God has done. God does not, in fact, just sit there being glorious. God, in Habakkuk chapter 3, is a God who goes out. He strides out as a warrior on behalf of his people, as a mighty warrior. Verses 3 to 15 recall Israel's history. Well, not so much recall the history as to paint a collage of that history in the most vivid of colors. 400 years of slavery in Egypt, the exodus, the wanderings in the wilderness, the giving of the law at Sinai, and the entry into the promised land, all painted here. And all of those events, apart from the miracles themselves, which can never be explained like this, All of those events could be, and often have been described, purely as secular history. Well, one country was more powerful than another, and so therefore invaded. But Habakkuk knows, and the miracles along the way assure us, that all of that was because God came. Do you see that in verse 3? God came. Verse 12 and 13 says, In wrath you strode through the earth, and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. Yes, that twin purpose of God coming in power, wrath and rescue. Because what was judgment for the Egyptians was rescue, deliverance, salvation, the Israelites. Now Habakkuk knew his history. Do we? Do we know the story of the Bible as it unfolds through from Old Testament to New? Do we know something about the story of God's work at the time of the Reformation, at the time of the great revivals, through the work of the missions? Because only as we become acquainted with God's actions in the past can we say, Lord, do it again. So we can rejoice, as Habakkuk did, because of what God has done. But now thirdly, we can rejoice because of what God will yet do. We can rejoice because of what God will yet do. Interestingly and curiously enough, for a prayer, only one verse in this chapter has any petitions. One might have thought that Habakkuk would be asking God for all kinds of things. But only one verse, verse 2, has any petitions. And Habakkuk prays, in the midst of the years, renew thy work. Sorry, using a slightly older translation here. 
uh, in the midst of the years, renew thy work. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. And yes, in his wrath, in his judgment upon his own people, Judah, God did remember mercy. Although many of God's people would be marched off into exile, a remnant would return. And 400 years on, there would still be faithful souls who, like the old man Simeon, were still waiting for the consolation of Israel and whose patience would be richly rewarded. No wonder then Habakkuk can say in verse 18, I will be joyful in God my Saviour. If he could be, could be joyful, how much more we can be joyful. We on whom the fulfilment of the ages has come. Because you know there's one place more than any other where God in wrath remembers mercy. That place is the cross, the cross of Jesus Christ. Where Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. That's God's wrath. By becoming a curse for us. That's God's mercy. The cross, that trysting place, that meeting place where heaven's love and heaven's justice meet. Yes, it's the cross which is the great turning point, the great key, the great hinge of history. But because of the cross and everything that flows from the cross in terms of resurrection and ascension and glorification of our Saviour, Because of that, there's yet more to come. God has promised to put all wrongs to right, to wipe away every tear, and to usher in a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. And in the here and now, at this very moment, Jesus pronounces us blessed. 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 Read the Beatitudes. And even though we do not see him now, we believe in him, writes Peter, and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. One Christian asks another how she is. All right, I suppose, under the circumstances. But Habakkuk teaches us that we can live above the circumstances, and not under them. Habakkuk would have agreed with Paul when he said, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can, you need to be slightly careful with this last very well-known text, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And Paul would have agreed with Habakkuk, who says in verse 19, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. Even though I may in the future, he says, have nothing, I shall be walking on air. I know what you're thinking. Jonathan, what happened to chapter (laughs) 2? 
Chapter 2, which contains possibly the most important verse in the whole of the Bible, and which promises that will come a time when the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Well, we'll put that on the menu for next Sunday morning. Let us pray. Our gracious God, it's a difficult lesson, especially for those who have much tangible and material to be thankful for. But Lord, teach us grace. Teach us grace to love you and worship and honour you for who you are and for what you have done and for what you will yet do in our lives, in this church and in this world. Amen.